0: So, um, goods. Uh, when I was growing up at uh, school, I had uh, two maths teachers, both named Frank. One was called Frank Grundy. Uh, he was a brilliant mathematician. He was an Oxbridge student, academically brilliant, lovely guy. I played golf with him, played bridge with him, fantastic fella. Uh, but he was a terrible maths teacher. He was terrible because he couldn't understand why us boys who weren't as brilliant as him couldn't see exactly what he could see and he'd get frustrated. And then I had another teacher called Frank. His name was Frank Cannon. And I kid you not, he was an ex-RAF wing commander. And uh, he was a lovely guy, a guy you didn't mess with. Uh, but academically, he was poor. He was bad at maths. I mean, he, he, he struggled like us. To understand the steps. I kid you not, there was times when he'd put the, the, the thing on the board, he'd start going through the steps to solving the mathematical puzzle When he'd stand back and he'd say, lads, I've got no idea. <laughs> and honestly, we'd all start chipping in and, you know, what about this, what about this? And sometimes we'd hit on something by fluke and he'd, oh yeah, that's it. Other times, honestly, he'd go to his bag, pick up his manual, start reading through his notes. <laughs> X, Y, that. And then he'd get it again and he'd... Tell us, best math teacher I ever had. Best math teacher. Because it felt like with him that you were kind of... He was just, if he was one step ahead of you, you were lucky that day. But it was, it was like he could, take us with, he could take us with him on this journey of understanding. This term, we are looking at the second of the four cultures that we want to strengthen and grow in in this church. And uh, last term, we looked at a culture of community. And this term, we are looking at a culture of mission. And what sits right at the heart of mission is personal evangelism. You and I being witnesses that Jesus says we would be. And personal evangelism isn't the entirety of mission, because mission encompasses anything that we do as individuals or as a church to reach out to people. But we are simply in denial. We are simply... Kidding ourselves if we don't embrace the fact that mission starts with us. It's personal, it's about me witnessing by action and word to those people that I rub shoulders with in my life. And I just have to tell you that, in terms of personal evangelism, I am much more a Frank Cannon than a Frank Grundy. Right? (laughs) I I am not an expert. Oh, that I were an expert and got frustrated because, you know, why don't people just do it like I do it? No, no. I'm like, oh, I've got no idea now. Where's the manual? Uh, One step ahead in my dreams. So I'm not someone who is going to talk to you about mission in any way deluded that I am brilliant, good at it. I'm learning, I'm struggling. But I am trying to think and act more missionally, more evangelistically in my own life. I am trying, and I would love to invite you on this journey of adventure, because I believe if we want to be a church that says we have a culture of mission, that only happens when the majority of people in the church are actively engaged in mission. You can't say that you have a culture of something until the majority of you are actively doing it and living it. So that is what we want to look at this term. Now let me give you two comments about personal evangelism. Firstly, any kind of motivation which comes from a place of guilt and shame will not bear fruit in the long term. Me making you feel bad or me making myself feel bad or you making me feel bad that we're not doing very well is not going to bear fruit in the long term. In the short term, it might make us do something, but the truth is this. In the long term, we, we will not stay the course, and God will not allow something which is based in guilt and in shame to be productive in his kingdom. God will not allow it. It's hard enough to evangelize and witness, but I mean, I don't want God not on my side. I mean, that's just madness. So we've we just got to put away any sense of guilt and shame. The second thing that I think I've learned is this. Trying to talk to someone who either they have got no interest in Jesus or Jesus isn't seemingly working in their lives. And there's a whole other preach about which came first, chicken or egg. Let's just leave that. But that kind of person who Jesus isn't seemingly working and they don't seem to be open, trying trying to witness to them, well, you might as well try and convert a brick. You might as well try and witness to a brink. You and I could spend every day until the day we die in a room with just the two of us without Jesus being actively involved and without their hearts being open. It is absolutely meaningless. Nothing is going to happen. Jesus saves. We just get to be helpers with him. If he isn't doing anything, then there is nothing to be done. We're his helpers. We're never his substitute, which is actually really good news for us. So putting those two things together means we've got to find a way that personal evangelism can be both grace-based, so it's not coming out of a place of guilt and shame, I must do this, I must do this, I must do this, and it must also be led by the Holy Spirit. Because if Jesus isn't involved, then there's no way that we're even going to get close to getting the job done. So that is what we are looking for. And I think for a grace-based, spirit-led evangelism, What we need to pray for and look for is this idea of a person of peace or people of peace, which is what I've entitled this message. I want us to to think about this kind of as we go through this term, a person of peace. This might be a new phrase for some of you. You might be very used to it. It's fairly simple. It's nothing particularly new. It's basically describing people who who, who are open at the moment to the gospel. They they are receptive. There's something in and about them. God's done something or doing something in their life. That means at this moment in time, they seem to be open to hearing about things of Jesus and his kingdom. That's really what it means, a person of peace. And of course, they may end up being the kind of gateway into a whole community or network of people who they know, their family, their friends, who Jesus wants to reach. And you can read various examples of people of peace, like in Lydia, in Acts 16, or the Ethiopian official. It's, it's like the disciples go, and it's like an open door. It's like they're an open book. It's like they're just ready to be witnessed to. But probably the clearest example of this person of peace is when Jesus sends out the 72 in Luke, and that's what we are going to read this morning It's in your notes. It should come up behind me. So Luke 10, verse 1 to 11, a well-known passage, says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them. The kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word and you would encourage us and you would give us a revelation of what you want to say to us as a church, but also as individuals. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a quick explanation, then I want to get into some points. So here we see Jesus sends out his 72 disciples on mission to be his witnesses. And you might think, well, it's 2,000 years later, but I tell you the scenery might have changed, but the principles remain exactly the same. This is just as relevant and instructive for us today. So let's just zip through quickly, see what we can learn. Just note a few things. Firstly, Jesus calls them. It's him who sends out his 72 and he sends them out two by two. And he says, travel light and go to the places that I am later going to go. In other words, kind of see yourself as an advanced party or a work with party. You're not an independent party. I'm sending you. You're going on my behalf. You're going to people that I am going to come and work with. In fact, that I am already working with. They, they're only going to go and work on behalf of Jesus. Even when Jesus is not there, they're still working, never independent of him. And he says, go and literally extend peace. In other words, to bring the peace of God that you disciples have in your life to those who don't have it. In other words, go. Go be open. Go be friendly. Go be personable. Go talk about what I've done for you. Go and extend the peace that you now have because you know me and extend that to other people and let them know that the kingdom of God is near to them. And as they did that, Jesus is saying I'm expecting you to go and find people of peace. You're going to go and find people like this in the different towns and villages. And the reason why Jesus knows this is because there are he knew that the Holy Spirit was actively at work in people's lives in those towns and villages. Jesus didn't send his disciples because he wasn't sure, he didn't know, therefore go and look No, no, Jesus knew that there was people in those towns that the Holy Spirit was actively working on. And so he sends his disciples to go and find them and to witness to them. And he says, look, you'll know you've found a person of peace because they're going to welcome you. They're going to serve you. They're going to be open to you and the things that you say about me. That's how you will know. And once you've found them, I want you to stay there. And build a relationship with them and their friends and their family. And if, those, if they're sick, pray for them. Pray for their friends, their family. And the message that I want you to share with them is that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God which has come to you, has come to them. It's at hand. They can literally step into the kingdom of God. They can be saved because you've come to witness to them because the Holy Spirit's been working on their hearts and now God has sent you and you're going to say to them, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's near. You can reach out and touch the kingdom of God and enter the kingdom of God like we have. That is exactly what Jesus told them to do. So this is possibly one of the clearest teachings of this idea. It kind of changes the idea that Jesus says, look, "You know, look, just, just randomly go out and kind of speak to whoever. No, no. Jesus is at work in people's lives, and he sent his disciples out to go find them, to go and witness to them. So this morning, I want to look at this idea of a person of peace, and we're going to do it under seven Ps, people, of, person of peace, people of peace, seven Ps. I didn't put this together. It's far too clever for me, but seven Ps, and they're not seven steps so much as they're When we're thinking about personal evangelism and we're thinking about people of peace, these are seven things that maybe we need to think through. Maybe we we need to sharpen up on. We may not get to cover all seven this morning, but that's okay. We'll go through a chunk of them and then we can cover the other ones next week. But I think throughout this term we may refer back to them. Because as I say, they're not seven steps, but they're seven areas that we perhaps just need to think about. So the first P is presence. Presence, not as in E-N-T-S, but as in E-N-C-E. Presence. Because Jesus lives in us, and because he wants us to reach others who don't know him, then by definition, the people of peace that I can witness to must be people that I meet as I go about my daily life. It would be ridiculous if God had loads of people for me to witness to, and yet I never cross path with them. Jesus didn't send his disciples anywhere. He sent them to go to the places where he was going to go. In other words, he sent them to go to the places where he was actively at work. And therefore, the places where we should be looking to meet people of peace is where we spend our time. At work, where we live, at home, in our neighbourhoods, travelling, shopping... Wherever we are, we have an opportunity to model Jesus, to act like he would act, speak as he would speak, show kindness as he would show kindness, speak words of encouragement and hope as he would. And as we do that, so I believe uh, people of peace will become evident to us. In thinking about this, you know, culture of mission, as I say, I just had to realize and kind of own up to myself I'm not very good at this and I haven't been very fruitful in my life witnessing over the last 15 years but I can't believe that's because I've just been in the wrong place for the last 15 years I can't believe that somehow I I haven't had how much fruit have you had witnessing in the last 15 years I'm not very much oh I've probably been in the wrong place that can't be that just cannot be the case it's much more likely that I haven't been ready I haven't been looking, I haven't been willing, or maybe all those three. I just can't say that location can be the issue. And neither can I say that I well, I just haven't had the opportunity. You know, I just haven't had the opportunity. I interact with people every day, all kinds of places, trains and shops and family and friends and buying this and going down the park. I interact with different people all day. I just can't imagine that it's the wrong location or lack of opportunity that's the issue. But what I can well imagine is that it's me not realising, not believing, not having faith that actually just where I am, my very presence in a place, on a road, where I live, at work, means there's an opportunity for me to witness, not because I'm anything special, but because the Holy Spirit lives in me is active in the lives of other people, and he must be able and clever enough to want to use me to witness to people who don't know him. What I'm basically saying is, I believe that over the last 15 years, there have been plenty of people of peace. I just haven't found them. The question for me is, how much have I been looking for them? And I've got to fess up, I just don't think I have been looking for, for them, And I don't think I need to go to some far off country. I don't think I need to do anything, anything you know, outrageously different. I, I think I just need to open my eyes, let God open my eyes and use me where I am. So I think the first thing of personal evangelism is presence. I think we just got to understand this is something for us, for all of us in our everyday life. Are you with me? Good. It only gets better. Uh, yeah, it does get better. thing is if we don't think for me if we don't think that way I think the danger is that we just write ourselves off we just think well it's just I just don't have the opportunity I'm just in the wrong place just don't meet the right people I just can't believe that is true second people want to look at is passing relationships we're going to think about people now passing relationships this is someone that we kind of might just meet you know Once or twice. This might this is someone who we don't have a a long-term relationship. This is not family or friends or neighbors. This is maybe just a complete stranger that you bump into while you're walking your dog. Someone that you meet at work. Some neighbor who lives the other end of the street. Someone sitting next to you on the train. Maybe someone you see once a year if you're lucky, like your dentist. You know, somebody like this. It's just a passing relation, just a moment that maybe you're with them, but in some of these moments, this is when I think God can open the door for us to be involved in something of his work in their life. I think our task is just to be spiritually open and awake and alive and to take these opportunities, to start that conversation, to offer that prayer, to hold that door open, to ask if you can help, to lovingly be that listening ear, whatever it might be. I, I can't tell you the, the number of different scenarios, but... I do think God can use us in this way and we've just got to rely on that kind of spiritual alarm bell that sometimes goes off when we realize that maybe just what seemed to be a chance encounter just seemed to be a moment, just seemed to be something random. Actually, this is an opportunity that God wants us to take to witness. But it does require us to be spiritually awake and to take courage because the opportunity presents itself. Let me give you, I had an opportunity of this the other day. While I was walking around, funnily enough, praying about this very message, I was walking through Master Park as I do, you know, thinking about it, and this guy came toward me with a little girl, about six or seven, and two dogs. One dog seemed to be all right. The other dog was yap, 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 yap. He let the second dog off the lead, and this dog went mad. He's just, yap, 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 and he's kind of calling it, whatever, Bluey or whatever, come here, Bluey, come here, Bluey, and the dog was, yap, 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 and as I walked closer, he looked at me, and went, it's not my dog that's my dog. That's not my dog. He said, I dropped my boy off to a friend's house and, and, and the boy's dad um, said, oh, I said, oh, I'll take, I'm going to take my dog for a walk. Shall I take yours? Yeah, take him. He'll be fine. He'll be no problem at all. Well, this dog was, so he went up, tried to get the dog. The dog was barking, running away. Um, so I kind of stood there. Hmm. <laughs> He carried on for a few minutes, and then the dog kind of made his way off and away, he started to run, run away, and he's like, oh, he didn't know whether to stay with his little girl and his dog, go after this other dog, he was round by the back of the park, so in the end, I went round with him, and he tried to get this dog, he wouldn't have it, I said to him, do you want me to go back and wait with your little girl and dog, because they're in the park, he said, oh, yeah, could you, so I said, okay, so I walked back and said to his little girl, dad's just sorting out the dog, you know, be back in a minute, uh, how are you, anyway, what do you do? She's six, you know. So um, uh, the dog's off barking. Then I got run right back around the back of the park because I can't see her. And this guy, he's I don't know where the dog's gone. I'm going to go over to the field. Okay, I'll, do you want me to go back and get your your daughter? Okay, so come back, go back, and he's nowhere to be seen. I'm now standing kind of in the wooded area behind the church with this little five, six-year-old girl. She doesn't know me. I don't know her. Their dog is looking at me, you know. Uh, and this guy's nowhere to be seen. <laughs> right, okay, thanks very much. About 10 minutes later, this guy comes running back. We were in Master Park. This other dog had run all the way back to Central Way. Crossed the road. This guy had run after it. he had gone all the way home. He'd got back. Oh, my little girl, she's back in the park. So he'd then come running back. I'm kind of standing there talking to his little... I realise as he comes back, maybe this is the moment to witness to him. I am slow, I am, because I've kind of given up 15, 20 minutes, looked after his little, and I suddenly, maybe this is the moment, he came running back, and I, I oh, maybe I've got a card to give him, maybe I could just say to him, you know, no worries, there's an alpha thing, or um, I lead a local church, or something that I could just say that, because he was obviously very grateful, you know, this complete stranger had, you know, looked after his little girl, and... And I, and I suddenly went, oh, I'll give him something. I didn't have my bag with me. Oh, I haven't got a card I was going to talk to him about. And by the time I'd done that, he literally walked up and said, mate, I'm so glad. I'm so thankful. I can't thank you enough. Thanks for We've got to get back. Grabbed his little girl and the dog and walked off. And I went, uh. <laughs> So that was my experience. It was a moment. It was an opportunity. I was stood there. I thought, God, you definitely gave me that opportunity. But we'll come on to this. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't awake enough. And the moment kind of past, maybe God will uh, bring me into contact with him again. Who knows? But my point is that there must be opportunities like that to witness to people of peace that we just rub shoulders with in our ordinary, everyday lives, but we've just got to be willing and ready and alert enough to take them. I think the opportunities may come unexpectedly. And there's going to be by very nature a moment when it kind of just goes from being a nice citizen. See, I didn't help him to witness to him. I helped him because I think that's what Jesus would have done. But I should have used it as a moment to to say something about why I did it to him. Because otherwise he may just think, well, that was a nice bloke. But actually I could have used it just to have said something, to step out then and have said something to him, even if it was just something simple like, Anything, I'll pray for you, I'll lead a local church, if ever when to come along, I don't know, but I, I, didn't, I didn't be nice to him so that I could witness to him, I was nice to him because I thought that's what Jesus would do, look after his little girl while he was dealing with this problem. But in the midst of it, I should have twigged earlier, oh God, I think this might be an opportunity, what do you want me to say? I don't think God would have wanted me to say to him, do you believe in Jesus, get down on your knees, no, but I could have just broke cover, I could have just said something so that he realised, oh he was a nice bloke and he's a Christian. That's all I needed to say was something. And it's in those moments that really I I think myself, oh, come on, Lord, help me. That's really what I'm talking about. If you want to hear somebody who is really good at this, go on YouTube and put in there, John Wright, How to Witness to Strangers. Peter and Pippa put me onto this guy. He's an English gent. He could be a lord, like something out of Downton, really. But he witnesses to people on the train station, in the coffee shop. He sings to some of them. Now, I'm never going to do that, but... If you want inspiring stories of how God can use seemingly ordinary everyday chance meetings to witness, then have a little look at John Wright on YouTube. Passing relationships. Okay, the third P, permanent relationships. This is, if you like, family, friends, people we work with. Because this is a whole nother category. It's interesting, did you know that most evangelists agree... This is the most difficult group of people to witness to. Generally, this group seems to require extra patience, extra perseverance. And I wonder whether for some of us, because we've had maybe limited success in witnessing to people who make up our permanent relationships, we have therefore discounted ourselves from witnessing to those who make up our passing relationships without realising that actually the permanent ones can be more difficult than the passing ones. Are you with me? We figure, well, if I can't even witness to my own mum and dad, sister, husband, wife, friend, what right have I got to witness to some guy in the park? When the reality is the guy in the park might be really much easier to witness to, especially if he's a person of peace that God's been working on. But because we haven't had much success over here, we kind of discount the whole thing and say, well, I'm obviously just no good, and so I won't do it at all. I like the idea of prayer cards. We did it last year here. We put down six people that we were praying for that we want to see, you know, saved. We're going to do it again this term. However, to be honest, my six from last year were the six people I would most like God to save. They were all from my permanent relationship group and my basis for selecting them was nothing to do with any evidence that God was at work in their life or that they were people of peace. They were simply my personal wish list. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for members of our family and friends who aren't saved just because we love them. Of course, we should pray for them. But in terms of this idea of working with God and trying to find out who is a person of peace, I can't just put them down on my card saying they're a person of peace just because I want them to be. I need to see some openness to the gospel, some evidence that God is working in their life and that they are responding. If they're not, I need to keep praying that God will speak to them, that God will open them up. But I also need to accept that that's not where they are at the moment. So I can't treat them as a person of peace because that's not where they are. Now, you may think that sounds harsh and hard. I'm not trying to be. That's where my mum and dad are despite the fact that their son leads a church, despite the fact they've seen all their granddaughters getting baptised, despite the fact they've come to the carol service here for the last 15 years and heard the gospel, I can honestly say I haven't seen anything to indicate that they are in any way open to Jesus and the gospel in any way, shape or form. That's not harsh. That's just a fact. Now, of course, God could be working in their life and I can't see it. And of course, I'm going to continue to pray For them, But I can't regard them as people of peace, as I've just outlined to you, because I don't think they are. And so I'm not going to put them down on my prayer card for Alpha, because they're a mile away from Alpha. I want people on that card who I have got some faith that God is working in right now. The idea was never just to fill up a list of names on a card. What's the point of that? The idea was to put people's names down who I've got some faith and evidence. No, no, God is at work. I want a list of six people who I think are people of peace that God can use me to reach out to. So we kind of just have to think through, I think, and be honest. Okay, God, who are you working with? I'm going to have a prayer list for those people that I don't think God is working with, but I'm just going to keep praying. God, will you touch their hearts but on my prayer card for this term, I want people that I feel that God is actively at work in. Do you, do you get the difference? Yeah. It's quite important because I've put people down with no evidence that God's working. And guess what? None of them came to Alpha. Well, it's no surprise. They're miles away. I need to be praying for them. God, will you just spark something? They're not ready to come to something like Alpha. Permanent relationships. Okay, number four, I've got to pick up the pace a bit because time is zipping on. Proclamation. The fourth P is proclamation. Now, typically, we think of proclamation as being when we get an opportunity to proclaim Christ and invite a response, like on an alpha course or a Sunday morning. However, I think if we can think a little broader, then I think the proclamation can be useful to help us identify who a person of peace is. Okay? Because the question becomes, God, if there are these people of peace out there, how do I recognize them? They're not going to go around with a t-shirt saying, I'm a person of peace, witness to me. They're not. So how are we going to know? See, I think that any time you and I proclaim out loud to someone who's not a Christian that we're Christians, and that God's at work in our lives or in the life of our church, I think the Holy Spirit can take that proclamation and get a response from somebody which opens our eyes to the fact that they may be a person of peace. Let me give you an example. Let's just imagine that someone came up and gave a testimony of healing this morning. Right? I know you didn't. We didn't. But let's imagine, for example, because it will just make my illustration so much better. Let's just imagine that you go to work on Monday and people are saying, so how did your weekend go? What did you get up to? Which is what people do. And you say, well, it was nice. Saturday, you know, went out, did a bit of gardening, did this, watched football, went to the cinema. And then you say, and I went to church on someone and someone gave an amazing testimony about how God had healed them. Or, or, or something along those lines, right? Something that kind of, that puts it out there that God's involved in your life. Because you go to church, because he's healed you, healed somebody else. Whatever it may be, we heard some things about Zimbabwe at church. Interesting to hear what's going on in that nation. You just proclaim something of the activity and goodness of God. Now, if no one picks up on it, it or if there's a kind of mocking remark, or oh, you go to church or whatever, or whatever, maybe it's just that there's no person of peace in that group listening at the moment, at that precise moment. But if there is, then I believe that could be the moment when the Holy Spirit can touch that person and maybe then, or maybe later, or maybe over lunch next day, they'll bring it up. Oh, you, you go to church then, do you? Oh, you believe God heals, do you? That's funny, I've got a brother who's praying for me and he prayed for me about healing. Oh, you're interested in Zimbabwe? I've got a friend in Zimbabwe. How, how's your church involved in Zimbabwe? Are you with me? The person of peace, I think it gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to, to, to basically stir them and say, ah, this person that I'm working in, this other person who's just said that, why don't you talk a little bit more to them? See, I I wonder if we've mistakenly thought that proclamation was about finding someone ready to accept the gospel, whereas in reality, I wonder whether it's proclaiming something of God, which the Holy Spirit then uses to speak into their lives, and because of their interest... Suddenly our spiritual eyes get opened. Maybe this is a person of peace because they're not mocking and they're not saying nothing. They're actually interested. Maybe God is at work here. While I was praying this over, I was praying about this proclamation thing. I felt God give me a picture of someone throwing a tennis ball up and then catching it as though they were serving it. They were throwing this tennis ball up and catching it. And I felt God say, you know, every time you proclaim something about me, that you're a Christian, that you go to church, that, that there's a testimony of someone being healed, whatever it may be, every time you make that kind of proclamation, it's like you're throwing that tennis ball up in the air. It's like you're giving an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come and hit the thing over the net and speak into someone's heart. heart. And the great thing about the picture is that if you throw a tennis ball up and you don't hit it, it just drops down to your hand again. And I think that sometimes we think a proclamation has to be uh, I don't know, along the lines of, and are you a Christian? And if you're not, and you should be, and Jesus died for you. And, and it's like we try and take this ball and we kind of think we've got to ram it down, you know, someone's throat. <laughs> and that didn't work. That doesn't work very well. Unless someone's ready to become a Christian, that doesn't, they don't like it. You wouldn't like it if someone came along to you and tried to ram a tennis ball down your throat. People don't like it. But if you proclaim something, if you say, Oh, yeah, I went to church on Sunday, heard an amazing testimony. Just leave it. But you've kind of thrown it up there. And God, by his Holy Spirit, when the right person is listening among your friendship groups or your colleagues or your neighbours or whoever it may be, at the right moment, God can take the racket and smack the ball across the net and stir something in that person where they pick up and say, I didn't know you were a Christian. I didn't know you went to church. Do you believe in healing? Is there any chance of praying for That's funny. You won't believe it, but my brother started going to church. Are you, are you with me? That's, this is the picture that God gave me. He's kind of saying, come on, throw some, pro, throw some tennis balls up in the air. Throw some proclamations out there. I should have done that with that guy with his dog. I should have just said, he, said, he even said something like, mate, I'm glad I could help. Just to let you know, I did it because I'm a Christian. If you ever want to know more, I go to something called King's Church. I could have just said something like that. I mean, he's not going to get offended by that. I'm not trying to ram it down his throat. I'm just throwing something up there. He might say, all right, thanks, mate. And off he goes. But he might say, "Wow, well, you won't. That's funny. We used to go to church. We just moved here. But I've got to throw something up there. So I think this thing of proclamation, I don't know about you, but I'm not very good at it. I'm just not very good at just gossiping the gospel, saying something about God and just chucking it up there and seeing what he does with it. But I'm going to start giving it a go. And I just want to encourage you to give it a go. Who's going to give it a go this week? Yeah, right, all right, okay. We'll see, but I think it could be fun, couldn't it? Fifthly, preparation. Fifth P, preparation. I think this is all about understanding that although some people get saved in a moment, for most people it takes longer. There's a longer time of preparation that God has been working in their life, maybe over months, maybe over years. And as witnesses, much of what we are called to do is just to help be involved as God moves them closer to him. There's a famous scale called the Engel scale. I think it might come up on a chart behind us. But it's generally just making this point that, you know, people kind of go from one, no awareness of God, they don't kind of get saved till about number 10, and they kind of have to go through all these contacts, encounters, God answering prayers, etc., etc., before they come to that place of being ready to give their lives to him. And I think, you know, those who are people of peace, you know, but generally those, they're down here maybe. You know, they've got some awareness of God, some contact with Christians. That's kind of the people that I'm talking to, about. And often what we need to do is is to kind of think, well, God, how do you want us to help them to move up, to move along the scale? Because people aren't going to come along to Alpha until they kind of get up to, you know, six, seven, eight. But they need to be witnessed to in the broadest sense in order to get them there. This guy, John Wright, he said he once prayed and asked God, what's the difference between an evangelist and a witness? And God gave him a picture of a football team. And he says, a football team has 11 players all on the same team with the same aim, but only one of them, the striker, gets to score the goal. And he said, I felt God say the evangelist is like the striker. He may be the one who kind of puts the ball in the net. But the only reason that the ball is in the net for the striker to put it in the net is because the other 10 players have faithfully played their part, kicking the ball meter by meter forward until it's ready to be scored. And he said, that's what God said to me. We're all called to be witnesses. We've all got to be involved. And it's only our involvement as witnesses that gets the ball up to where the person is ready, to where the striker is able to score a goal. A not very good example of this is there's someone that Jane and I have been praying for and witnessing to. I think they're a person of peace. I think they're open. But do you know what? They ended up at work having a boss who was a Christian, and I don't know the rights or wrongs of it. I don't, know, I don't know, but all I can say is that the way that this boss has treated the person that we've been praying for, if they were moving up the scale, they've now stepped back a bit. Now, I don't know whether that's right or not. That's the perception of the person that we're praying for. But if that's the case, if that's the case, that is just so heartbreaking. And it just shows that we just don't... We just don't know. We just do not know. Jane and I recently gave one of her clients a love languages book because Jane was having a chat about life and marriage and children. And because we know that this book can be quite helpful, we just gave her a copy of it free of charge. Just an act of kindness. But do you know what? She sent us a lovely card. She sent Jane a lovely card just saying thank you so much for giving me that book. I'm reading it. I think it's going to help me. She may be a person of peace. God just may have opened up a door there. And I think a widening understanding of witnessing is really helpful because it means that opportunities can spring up all over the place. It's not so much about being able to do a 30-minute explanation of the doctrine of salvation. People are going to need that at some point, but it's much more asking God, God, is there anything you want me to do or say with this person that is going to move them closer to you, that is going to move them along the scale, that you want me to witness to them. And then trusting, actually, that God will show us what he wants us to do. Number six, number seven is power and perception. I haven't got time. We'll go into those another day. So just to end, I want to say, what is an application for this person of peace? I think the two things we must do is pray and pay attention. Pray because Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So I think we've got to pray that we will understand that we are the workers, that individually and as a church, it's us that Jesus wants to send out into the harvest field. So we need to pray. We need to pray and ask God, are there people of peace in our lives? Ask God, what do you want us to do next? what are the next steps? We don't know how God is moving them. God knows, but we need to ask him and then step out. And I think the second thing we need to do is pay attention. Don't be like me when I'm walking around Master Park, half spiritually asleep. But say, Lord, make me spiritually awake. Let me realize and see that you may have people of peace that you've brought into my life. How do you want me to reach them, What are the proclamations that you want me to give? And if it doesn't work out and there's nothing lost, Jesus said, if they don't accept, you just wipe the dust off your feet and carry on walking. But I believe that if we will pray and if we will pay attention, that individually and corporately, God will show us people of peace that we can witness to, Because that's what he expected of his 72 disciples. He didn't send them out there on a wild goose chase. He sent them out there to go and find the people that he had prepared in advance for them. And I believe there are people that God is at work at right now in our lives that he wants us to reach for him. To be honest, the hope for my future evangelistic success does not rely on me. It relies solely on God. And a few months ago, God gave me this verse from 2 Samuel 14, which I find tremendously encouraging when I'm thinking about this whole thing of witnessing, it says this like water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered, so we must die. Not very cheery, is it, but it's true. <laughs> but that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. The Bible says that God does not desire people to die and not be in relationship with him. The Bible says that God is devising ways. God devised a way that I might be saved. God devised a way that you were saved. Therefore, I must believe that God is devising ways that others are going to be saved. And in some of those plans and devising ways, he must be wanting to use us as his witnesses because that's exactly what he said. Let me pray for us. Father, I I pray... I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here. And I ask that over the next week and over the next month, you will help us in this whole area of witnessing, being witnesses and personal evangelism. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would help us. I pray that we would go on this journey, this adventure together. And we would not be critical Uh, or judging of ourselves or others, but rather we would spur one another on and there would begin to be testimonies of where you have opened up and shown us people of peace, where you have given us divine opportunities to witness for you. Lord, I I pray for it. Lord, not, not so that we might sleep easily in our beds, but because we believe there are men and women, there are men and women that you want to save. And we believe that you want to use us as your witnesses, to be involved. So we say, Lord, would you stir us? Would you speak to us? And would you move us to be involved? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.